Thank you, God. Would you speak to us this morning in such a powerful way? We thank you that we're taking this intentional time and that you would actually go beyond what I've prepared, that you'd go beyond what we're doing in the natural and that you would deposit something deeply within us that grows and matures us to look like Jesus. That's our goal. That's our aim to look like Jesus in his perfect love, in his compassion, in his grace that he extends to all of us. And so we pray that you do that in our lives and that this message would really bring about your power in the word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm actually really excited to bring today's word because um, it's a little different than what I normally do. I like to mix it up. Um, We did the road to Emmaus a couple weeks ago. And last week, Jesse Skinner, who is a pastor from Orange County, Presence OC, came and ministered with us. And he preached on the topic of rest. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been thinking about it all week long. I've been having conversations with individuals, how, how we can each enter into greater rest, where we've compromised, where we've just been flailing around sometimes, and just how do we actually live this out? I love the discussions that are already taking place. But, but here's the deal. Sometimes when there's a word like that, that God is really on, that's thematic, especially rest, you can't just rush ahead to the next topic. And so I was like, let's, let's sit in this for a second. What else is God wanting to say to this church about rest? And how do we create a culture of rest in this house? So it's not just about uh, me, Tommy, learning how to rest. I'm really trying to unplug. I'm really trying to put my phone down. I'm really, you know, all the practical ways. But what does it actually look like to be a culture of rest here at Evergreen? Can we be an example to the city in the way that we rest? Everyone's out there anxious, trying to to do and be, where we have actually come to have a secure identity in who we are. We know who we are and whose we are, and we should be the most joyful, peaceful people walking the planet. So sometimes there's a little disconnect from the reality and the truth and seeing it manifest in our lives but I want to go after that today. So I'm preaching on ending cycles of stress and busyness. Especially as we're going into the busyness of the fall. If you've got kids, you're already sending them off to school and you're trying to go through the motions once again. And so this is a good good reminder and something that I want to kind of put into our lives, into our thinking, into our discussions about how we can make some adjustments to really live as kingdom people. Have you guys ever thought about why we are so busy as a culture? It's the year 2022. No one that I know of in LA is going to the LA River to wash your clothing by hand. We have a washing machine. We have probably someone that we did not pay to do our dishes. It's called a dishwasher. All of, almost all of us took our chariots to get here today. They're called cars. We have it very, very easy. In the days of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, there was a census. They had to quit their work and travel off to Bethlehem for the census. What do we have to do for the census? We hop online and we basically take a BuzzFeed quiz, 10 minutes or so, real easy. 
We didn't have to get off work. We didn't have to take two weeks' time to go do what the government's telling us to do at that moment. So why is it that we're so busy? What did, someone shout out what you had for breakfast this morning. All right, I heard eggs, oatmeal, coffee cake, I think was the third one. It's nice. Don't get distracted with the food. It's almost lunchtime. How many of you had to raise your own chickens, feed them this morning, change their water, and gather your eggs, go inside, clean them off, do the whole process? How many of you had to get your wild oats from the field, gather them together, build a fire with, with, a, with an expensive thing that you had to get from the ironsmith to create boiled water for your wild oats that you had to crush last night for for maybe half an hour to get your oatmeal. We have it so easy. You took that wild oatmeal packet and put it in the microwave for 30 seconds and had a delicious morning feast. Why are we so flippin' busy? Shouldn't we be carving away at our time? But if I go to a party or I go to a various mingling in the city. Oh, how are you doing, Samantha? What's new? Well, I'm really busy. I feel like nine times out of 10, that's the response I get. Oh, I'm just so busy, so busy. It's one of the most common responses that you're gonna get from almost anyone that you talk to these days. And my guess is that most of you probably feel busier than ever. I know for myself, it can feel that way. The, the years as I get older seem to move faster and faster by. Yesterday, I was literally planning for my Thanksgiving and my Christmas already. I'm like, was I not just listening to Mariah Carey a moment ago, shopping in TJ Maxx for last minute gifts? Feels like two months ago. But when you get this age, Christmas comes every two months. So it just flips by the calendar. How many of us live with some sort of lingering, constant stress? Stress is not okay. You were not meant to live as a believer with so much stress. And here's what happens when we just continue with the rhythms of busyness. One, we will sacrifice our marriage and our family on the altar of work. Secondly, we will overcommit and we will underdeliver. Third, we will run out of time for what we actually want to do or need to do. Fourthly, we will struggle to make time to refuel, to unwind, and to relax in our minds, in our bodies, and in our souls. And lastly, that, that constant, almost burnt out will turn into real burnout. We need to be those that implement some strategies that will actually work. The world has some pretty good tips and tricks to, to, to trying to live less busy and to deal with less stress. But here's the deal. We know a man named Jesus. And you know who's made a tailor-made plan of action for your specific life and situation? His name is Holy Spirit. And if you don't know him well, this is the day I'd love to introduce you to him. You're really missing out because all that stress and anxiety was actually paid for 2,000 years ago, and you don't have to go around carrying it. Life is pretty incredible knowing that God's best and highest plan for your life and getting to partner with him and live it with him.
actually you're going to continue to feel unfulfilled, dissatisfied, lonely, stuck, and anxious without him because he is the real solution. We were made to be with him. But here's the deal. He will deliver you, he will heal you, and he will free you in every area of difficulty. He is the counselor, the provider. He is our purpose and our strength. So with him, let's escape the spiral of stress and come to a place of shalom, peace, and prosperity in our very soul where you can grow with him You can give to him your goals afresh, your careers, your families, and walk in greater freedom and rest as you walk out your purpose. So let's turn now to Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. As you're getting out your phones or turning there, a little background. The author of this gospel is indeed Matthew. He is a tax collector, which means He was basically hated back in his time. At at the very least, very annoying, this tax collector, because they were known to be corrupt, to save a little money for themselves, to work with the Romans, whatever it might be. But Matthew, who is a tax collector, is the author of this book. He was a Jewish man, and he wrote this gospel to a Jewish audience. And so as you read Matthew, you can actually trace back, you you open the first pages and you can see the genealogy because the Jewish people would have been very familiar with this genealogy that was pointing to the line of David, which Jesus was born. And then as you read the book of Matthew, you can see all of the different areas where there is a fulfillment of the Old Testament or the Torah prophecies fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. That was his audience, the Jewish people, to show them, to unveil to them who the Messiah is, the name of Jesus. And so uh, as you're reading the book, you can have that framework in mind. And here in Matthew 14, setting the stage, Jesus' relative, John the Baptist, had been a prophetic voice preparing the way for the Messiah. He was calling for repentance and baptism and he had baptized Jesus himself. The, the quick, quick version of this story is that in Matthew 14, the ruler at the time named Herod had um, a special relationship with his brother's wife named Herodias. They both wanted to execute John the Baptist, but Herod knew that if he executed John, that the people that thought he was a prophet would cause a disruption under his empire. And so he, he put John in jail, but chose not to, to execute him. Now, for Herod's birthday, on the scene once again, he calls forth Herodias to come and to dance for him and his guests, to give them a little show for the peoples. Was it belly dancing? Was it ballet? Was it a little show tune? You can use your imagination but probably it wasn't something we'd want to perform here at Evergreen on Sunday. (laughs) And here's what verse six says. It pleased Herod. I'm sure he was very drunk, and here's what took place. He promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist right here on a platter. 
And the king was sorry because of his oath and his guests. He commanded it to be given. So under the oath that he made and the pressure of his, his party and those that were there, he had to fulfill this word of John the Baptist's head on a platter. So the scriptures tell us that John the Baptist was indeed beheaded. His head was brought before the girl. She took it to her mother. But the disciples took the body and buried it and went to find Jesus and tell him what had just happened. And that's the setting that we have that leads us to the exchange and the model that we see in the life of Jesus as one that is so near and dear to him personally and paving the way for his very ministry had his own life taken. Verse 13, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. I love these moments where we get to see a glimpse of the emotions and the humanity of Jesus. And did you know that you too have permission to take time away from the busyness and the crowds and the good things that you are doing? If Jesus needed to take time away, how much more do we? And here's what happened. When the crowds heard it, when they heard it, and here's probably what happened. Do you ever hear a tragedy take place? Maybe let's say in a church context, someone's wife dies. Uh, maybe there's a child that, that dies. There, it's, it's so grieving. But what you want to do is listen in to the very next words the leader gives, right? Everyone shows up that Sunday after something takes place because they want to they be a part of the grieving, but they also want to hear what the leader says and how they're going to respond. And I think that was a little bit of the heart of the people. When they gathered together, they wanted to hear the response of Jesus. So they found out where Jesus was going. They followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Did you know that Jesus has perfect boundaries? Have you ever thought about that before? Sounds funny, right? He made the choice to not continue in his alone time for that moment. His choice through compassion was to bring the kingdom of God through healing, through power, through love, through the miraculous. He was moved by compassion and chose to minister, even in the middle of his grief. But verse 15 through 21 tells us of what miraculous event took place. It's called the miracle of the 5,000. And right here in the middle of his grief, he decided to let the people come together. It says 5,000 men. That did not include women and children. So that could have been as much as 15 to 20,000 people, if you're going on the high end. And as he was teaching, what took place is that they all gathered together, but they didn't have food. So everyone started getting hungry. You guys think you got it bad when you got to wait past 1230 for lunch. These guys had been waiting around because they were so spiritually hungry but then came the time where they're like, oh no, we're legit hungry now. <laughs> so they're like, the disciples come stressed. Jesus, we don't, we don't have anything to feed the crowds. They're hungry. And all they had were five loaves and two fish. 
The Lord sees the smallest mustard seed as a great and giant possibility. That's his perspective. In fact, he had been with the disciples so long that he said, you give them something to eat. The shift had taken place where it wasn't so much about just him every single time. It was saying, I've commissioned you to partner with the Spirit to now also see the miraculous. Have you not changed your vision yet? Have you not seen the possibility of the miraculous in your own life? But he chose to take the bread, to look to heaven, to give thanks. And every time that we look to heaven and give thanks over the areas in our life that feel lacking, it multiplies with God. And so he broke the bread and it multiplied and they had more than enough. His time of ministering was done. Verse 22, he's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to now go and be alone with the Father. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side where he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, here he was there alone. It was time for him to be with the Father. Can you imagine the pressure and the responsibility that potentially Jesus was feeling. There's always more people to be healed. There's always more people to train up, to teach. There's more people to minister to. It's endless. But he spent so much time away and alone with the Father. He was very aware of the times that he needed to stop and to rest and to replenish. If Jesus needed that time away in the middle of a world of chaos and need with so many important things to do, how much more do we need it? So often we get burnt out, not just doing a bunch of the laundry list of accomplishments, but we get burnt out because of what we cannot do. We see the checklist and we're like, oh, it's a lot. I feel a little tired. But what actually burns you out is the endless checklist that you have not yet done. It feels like there's always more, that it's endless. And in this moment of Matthew 14, we see that Jesus intentionally pushes pause on all of the good ministry moments with plenty of work to still be done. And he knows, hey, it's time to connect with my father. It's time to meet him in my heaviness and my grief and to rest in his comfort and unwind with him. Jesus could have continued on. He could have pressed and pushed on, ministering more, doing more good things, burying his feelings for the sake of what needed to be done, but he decided to get alone into the secret place with the Father. And so I want to now look at some practical areas in our modern lives and apply some of these kingdom principles to them. You guys ready for this? We're getting switching gears here. We're going into the practical gear, which is gear three, if you know stick shift. Yep. It's called the practical gear. It's not actually. I made that up. Oh, oh, yeah. It's interesting, Pastor. What are some reasons that we are burdened with busyness? What are some reasons that we are burdened with busyness? 
The first reason that we have trouble with this busyness is number one, our minds cannot turn off. Many of us are in fields where we just don't know the state of our career, our family, our finances, and so we just have to adjust, change of plans, and it happens very regularly. That mental process is really hard to turn off in your brain. If you're in some kind of leadership position or you're a creative, you have to constantly be coming up with new, fresh ideas, new creative genius every single week, keeping people's attention, trying to sell yourself and your masterpiece. Or if you're some kind of knowledge worker, your work is never really done. For myself, it feels like I could throw myself in here. It feels sometimes like I haven't done enough in team development. I haven't done enough counseling. I haven't done enough pastoral care. This person's falling through the cracks. I need to do more evangelism. I need to do more social justice. There's always more that we could be doing. Can you of you guys relate to that in your own life? Even if you're not working a ton of hours, your mind feels like it's always working, because it is. And how many of you know that when your mind is working, you are working? That kind of mental pressure can really add up and feel exhausting. And even if you aren't doing as much as you'd like to do, it can still feel like burnout. Our second reason that we're burdened with busyness, number one, our minds can't turn off. Number two, your office has also become your home and your pocket. Your office is in your pocket. It's your cell phone if you didn't get that. <laughs> the boundary between home and work has been completely disrupted. Even before the pandemic, this was rough, but now we're at home when we're driving, when we're eating dinner. Thanks to a little technology, the office is still hanging out with you. Laptops, iPads, phones, we have endless access to what can be done, and we always feel behind. There's always more to do. It feels like our work's never done. Then we can, also, we can work from anywhere, which at first it feels kind of nice. I can work anywhere. But it also gives this a lingering feeling that we're never really off work. And nowadays we're taking some breaks for dinner or a show, but we're also answering emails and messages, trying, trying really hard to pay attention to The Handmaid's Tale, but you're answering your emails that you're behind on. It feels like you're never done. Number three, all of those inbound messages. So many, yes. How many of you are old enough here to remember when you got your first computer? Exciting times. I believe we got ours in 1995. And as a young boy, I decided, I think it was a Christmas present. So I went in there on Microsoft Words, and I typed with giant comic sans, Merry Christmas, and printed it out. It's very exciting. <laughs> then I signed on to AOL. <laughs> Whatever it sounded like. We're so spoiled now. It was very slow. You'd load a blog and it would be like, eh, 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 eh. 
So I'd sign on to my email and there would be no inbox messages. How nice, looking back to my young self, I would encourage myself in the Lord. That was a nice time. And the way people would reach you was what we have called a telephone. And they would, if you were not able to answer it, they would leave it on an answering machine. And I'm old enough to remember these tiny little cassette tapes that you'd dig in there. You'd, You'd get home from your grocery store shopping. Hi, Kathy, it's Sharon calling you back. Guess we're playing phone tag. I'll be awake till 10 if you can get back to me. Either like that, or you'd get a letter in the mail that you had to hand write back. Ancient times, ancient times. You know, we didn't have ravens that we could fly to one another. We, we didn't have that luxury. So those were our options. And now, we probably have about 25 different forms of communication and inboxes that people can reach us on. We have WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, the TikTok, texts, emails, second email, third email, Slack, church center. Whenever we look down, we have a new message or alert. What happened to office hours and visiting hours? Can we please bring that back? As great as technology can be, Messaging is designed to be at the convenience of the sender, not the convenience of the recipient, which makes you feel overwhelmed because it feels like it could come in at any moment and it needs your attention now. So what are some helpful actions to try to think about? Let's get real practical. For me, I have a few inboxes, but I try to be most active on a few of them, and I'm sorry I tend to ignore some of the others. That might not be for everyone. Secondly, rather than immediately responding, I will wait till I'm ready and more focused to respond. Rather than being, some of you are really good at just an instant response, that kind of throws me off sometimes. And so I have to kind of set aside times. I am not perfect in this by any means, I am an artist, I am right-brained, and I struggle with being orderly sometimes, especially with texts and emails. But this is part of the things that have been helpful to me. Thirdly, I think my team's probably going, that's so true, that's very... (laughs) Thirdly, I have a rule that I try to follow, which is the depth of my relationship determines the depth and the speed of my response to them. What does this mean? It means that my family, my closest friends, my team probably get a much faster response than others do. And I save the others for when I'm choosing to have a productive moment or have downtime to respond. It also means that I'm creating healthy boundaries for my own sanity. I'm still improving in these areas. So what I have to do is partner with humility. And it means that when I do get back to someone two weeks later... I have to apologize, and I have to go low and be like, I'm so sorry, I got distracted, I saw your text, and I didn't respond. That's just where I'm at, but, but here's what I can give you. And I have to give grace to myself for where I'm not able to answer everything. Number four, another reason that we are so overwhelmed, too much task switching. 
task switching, switching between tasks. There's a gentleman named Cal Newport who is the author of Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World. And he makes the argument that our minds were not actually made to constantly be switching between tasks. That checking emails and using Slack and other devices, pausing for texts, immediately responding to phone calls, will kill focus and deep accomplishment. So he argues that a tool like Slack was built as a right tool, but for the wrong way to work. When we are task switching, you can put in your eight to 10 hours of work, but you feel like you've hardly accomplished anything at all, which can feel extremely draining. So one possible solution for you, try to create deep pockets of uninterrupted focus for your work. Our minds will create more quality work over time as we make time-blocked space with limited or no interruptions. In our faith, something that I want to challenge us with, in our faith, are we creating these uninterrupted blocks of time as well? One thing that I've been practicing recently, very practical for myself, is that when I wake up in the morning... I turn off my alarm and I don't flip open Facebook or Instagram, but I've actually been waiting to look at any social media or emails till after I've had my time with the Lord. And it's a, a very simple thing I've done for a couple weeks now, and it's been so helpful just not to start my day with this, this switchback taking place. Again, I'm not making rules for anyone. These are suggestions. You can adapt this to your own lifestyle. I heard someone recently rename their quiet time as something different. You know, often as believers, we take our intentional time with God. We call it a devotion or a quiet time. Well, this person called it their unhurried time with God. I love that because even in the name unhurried, it causes you to kind of Sigh. <laughs> to let go. You're not just checking a box to feel better about yourself that you spent some time with God. Scripture does compare our time with God sometimes like a workout in a gym. That means that every day doesn't feel great. You're putting in a little effort. But over time, you start to see that change, that transformation take place in your own body and soul. But taking this unhurried time with the Lord is, is something that I cannot stress enough. This is where real daily transformation takes place. It's not rushed. It's intentional. It's full of purpose and meaning. Number five, final one here. The reason that we're feeling so busy, we have forgotten that busyness is a choice. You're not as busy as you think you are. No more, no less. It's by a gentleman named Kerry Newhoff. Um, he's someone that myself and a few people on our team have been, have been reading and, and listening to recently, who was a pastor and now he speaks to pastors. Um, but it really applies to anyone that is in a leadership role. And um, part of this is that you're as busy as you want to be. No more and no less. Um, another person, if you want to look more into this, is a woman named Allie Worthington, and she speaks about 
um, breaking busyness in your life. Um, Most, if not all of the chaos that we are feeling in our lives is internally partnered with. It is a, a choice to partner with the chaos in our lives. Again, we see modeled in the life of Jesus that when he was with the disciples and the storm came when they were all freaking out, we, we're going to drown. The ship's going to be wrecked. Where did they find Jesus? The one that they knew could help them in their time of need. He was sleeping on the boat. Sleeping. Maybe the man was tired, taking a little cat nap. But here's the deal. He was sleeping. And there's a quote by Pastor Bill Johnson, and he says, you only have authority in the storm that you can sleep in. Meaning that when you have a posture of shalom peace, and when you arise from that place with authority and confidence, you know how to speak and address the winds and the waves and the storm in your life. You know how to address and live in the chaos that it does not have control over you, but you're able to address the chaos and speak the authority of heaven to come to a moment's time. Peace be still. This is the kind of of um, heavenly mindset that we were actually born into as believers. We've forgotten that busyness is a choice. And as we're setting up our calendars and we're making decisions of what we're going to participate in, something that's helpful for me is to create circles. I will create a diagram literally in my journal of two charts of circles. One is relational circles, and it will have a center core and another ring outside and another ring outside and another ring outside of that. And what I will place inside of this are the the people that I believe God has called me to give the most love and attention to in my life. That's my family. That's my best friends. It's the people that I, I know that I'm called to pour into and to pour into me. That's right at the center. Now, the the next ring outside are those that are really important to me that we want to have that that important exchange as well, that I will give my time to, that I will um, prioritize in my life. And and I will even pray for the, the overarching vision for my life, but I'll pray into a specific season. So in this season, God, who are you calling me to actually pour my time into and for them to pour into me? And I will, I will make this chart intentionally with the Lord so that I know when I'm making my schedule and my calendar, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to realign to pouring my time into these individuals. And some of these other rings, though I love it and I, I, I love them and, and feel like it's important, I know how powerful it is to say yes or to no to an event or to a situation. Does that make sense to you guys? And the other set of circles has to do with my schedule and calendar and what I'm saying yes to. Now, at the very center of the circle, I will write what my life's vision is, what I hold most dear in my life. This is my, what I believe is my life calling. Outside of that, I will write what I believe God has called me to for a specific season in my life. And outside of that, I will write some, some goals that I have, some things that are important to me, and so on. You guys get the picture? So when I get an email, or I get an invite, or I say, maybe I'll go on this trip, or whatever it might be, 
come to this conference, fill your schedule with this, become busier in this area. I try to pause before I say yes or no. I connect with the Lord. And then I also open up where I've written these things down. And I say, does this align with my, my greater life goal and purpose? Does this align with this season's goal and purpose? And if it doesn't, maybe it's time to not go to that conference. Maybe it's time to turn down that opportunity because you've actually reprioritized what's most important to you and to God in your life in that season. Sound good? So when that new offer comes, how does it align to my circles? And we get to pray it through with the Holy Spirit. There's no pressure to respond to individuals right away. Connect with the Lord about it to make a wise, thoughtful decision. So I want to conclude with this. As believers, we really are called to be the most peaceful, the most joyful, the most free, the most restful people walking the planet. When, when LA is crippled by anxiety and stress, and they are obsessed with looking at themselves and their own lives, and they can't even think past themselves, we get to be the upside-down kingdom. What can we offer them by living as Jesus in a world that is fractured and broken and anxious and stressed? What does that look like to adapt that into our community? It means that we're having discussions at Sweet Greens, talking about our busy schedule and how God is changing things. It means we're going to coffee and talking through areas that God might be drawing us into and praying for one another. It looks like going to home group and discussing these things in our lives and reprioritizing where we're spending our time and our efforts. If the early church could gather together every single day, what does that look like for our lives? If they were breaking bread together every day, radically giving of their time and their finances freely, because they had such a vision of, of the eternal. They weren't stuck in the temporary things right in front of them. And so they said, of course, here are my funds. Of course, I'm going to help someone in need. You need land for the church? Here's land. You need finances for this missions trip? Here it is. Go. I can't go. I've got to work. Go. They were radical with their time and their giving because they were like, this life is not my own. This is not my life. I belong to Jesus. So everything that I am and everything that I have is his. And I believe that this is one of the primary themes that God has been working deeply in my heart and in this church over this past season and into this season. And what that is, is that this great undoing needs to be taken place within most of us to get us there. It's learning to let go and to yield into a life that is truly surrendered. Most everything comes back to the place of yieldedness and surrender. And so the theme that I believe that God has been breathing into my life and into this church body is a lifestyle word, but it's highlighted by this, my life on the altar, my life on the altar. We love to bring our praise and our worship and our songs on the altar before God. 
We love singing out day and night, let incense rise. That is, that's the, the burning fragrance of our song and our worship and the flow from our heart. But what does it look like to give God our time on the altar? What does it look like to give our, our, our talents on the altar of God? What does it look like to give our relationships laid down on the altar of God? What does it look like to give our busyness and our schedule and all that we have throughout our week on the altar before God? That is a question I've been asking myself and wrestling through. That's, that's an area of irritation in my own heart that I'm like, I need to be able to lay down more. I need to be able to lay down more. I need to be entering into greater surrender. Because when we live with surrender, we keep soft hearts. And we've got to live as people with soft, open hearts before God and before men. What does it look like to lay our lives on the altar before God? That's our act of worship. As much as we love singing songs and playing instruments, our act of worship is our very lifestyle. Billy Graham is one of my heroes in the faith. He, he died a few years ago, but he's one of the, the men that was able to have fame, so to speak. He was able to go to stadiums around the world to see probably millions of people receive Jesus through his ministry. But he was able to, to run the marathon. He wasn't a short sprint. And, and towards the end of his life, he was asked the question, Billy, if you could change anything about your life, if you could edit it, make any changes, go back, what would you do? And what you might expect is that he'd say, man, there were just more people that I would love to see saved. I wish we did more stadium events. I wish we learned how to do that so that more people could hear the gospel. And as great as that is, you know what his answer was? I wanted to spend more time with the Father and more time in the Word. How often have we aligned our thinking with the ways of the world? And we think we know how to accomplish the things that we're called to. But it's humbling in moments like this where, where it's a bit of a heart check. Yes. Those things are all great. They really are. God loves it. But what he loves the most is your heart and that connection with him. So I want to challenge us. Let's, let's start the conversation. Busyness. Where have we partnered with it? And where do we need to see the great undoing unfold so that we can live at our highest and best potential? Let's go ahead and stand up. God, first and foremost, I just personally want to repent for areas where I've compromised in, in my scheduling and busyness, in stress and anxiety of trying to make things happen. That's not your way. 
where I've sacrificed time with you, time in the word. Just at your feet, Jesus. And I've been busy with good things, but I've sacrificed what's most important. So even right now, I lay that before you. I turn from that in Jesus' name and I choose right now the very promise of life that comes in exchange. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that right now, as we lay down, you come with a renewal, a refreshment, that you long for our souls to prosper. And so I, I choose to receive by grace the replenishment of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that as we choose to yield, we're like putty in your hands. We are like soft clay for the potter so that you can form us and shape us into the exact, the exact um, beautiful human that you've created us to be. And so would you work out these little kinks in our clay to make a smooth, soft heart before you? And I wanna, I wanna just pray that as a church body, we really would be partnering with the upside down kingdom, that we would learn to not be a people in a hurry, not being a people that are busy, not being a people that are just going through the motions, but we need you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. We need you to be our counselor in these ways. And so we ask even right now for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and to lead us onward in the way of freedom from busyness. And I wanna just speak right now to any, any spiritual chains of stress and busyness that we've partnered with, known and unknown. And right now we partner with the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. And we command every ounce of the enemy's work to, to come loosened in your life and to be expelled from your life, washed by the blood of Jesus. That we would not be a people of stress and fear and anxiety and busyness. That we would be a people of your presence in exchange. Thank you, God, that you are creating lovers of your presence that are laid down on the altar before you that then can arise full of faith and full of power and boldness and that we can proclaim your name and do good things. And just like Jesus, we can walk into a crowd and bring compassion and healing and speak your words of truth with your anointing. But we're not gonna do it from being burnt out people. So teach us your ways, God. Lead us onward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.